The topic for the talk this morning is Vipassana is insight. How many people have heard the term Vipassana before? Good. Should be just about everybody. But many people think that it refers to a particular meditation practice. And actually, the term Vipassana is translated as insight. So often you'll see um, things called insight meditation, of course. That's the translation of Vipassana. But it doesn't necessarily mean insight. It means clear seeing. Sometimes in our busy days, we just don't see clearly. Sometimes we barely see it all in a day. Sometimes we're so blinded by our habits or we're on automatic pilot that we're actually not experiencing the very events of our lives as they're happening. Did you experience the walk from the car to this room? Are you aware of your experience sitting here? The insight meditation or vipassana asks us to have insight into our experience as it is. The Buddhist dictionary defines vipassana as the intuitive light flashing forth and exposing the truth of impermanence, the suffering, and the impersonal and insubstantial nature of all corporeal and mental phenomena of existence. If it sounds like a dictionary definition and confusing, don't worry. This is what the whole talk is about. Because it's very important because insight is the decisive liberating factor in Buddhism. The popular or casual understanding of Vipassana is that it's about watching the breath or being with sensations as they arise and pass or just learning to let go of thoughts and sort of make the mind clear or spacious. But Vipassana is not just a meditation technique. It's fundamentally about seeing clearly and realizing insight through mindfulness investigation. Mindfulness investigation actually about three particular characteristics of existence. These are called anicca, dukkha, and anatta in Pali. The first, anicca, is the quality of impermanence or inconstancy. The impermanence refers to the way things begin and end, arise and pass, or are born and die. And inconstancy refers to that process of change, the way things age and decay, increase and decrease, or intensify and then diminish. The second characteristic of dukkha refers to suffering or the unsatisfactory quality of existence. Sometimes it's described as anguish, but I think more accurately, it's stress or unreliability of things. It pinpoints an underlying unsatisfactory quality to anything that is anicca, that changes. Things just can't be held and relied upon, dependent upon, to provide us lasting happiness and lasting satisfaction. People experience this quality of dukkha sometimes through explicit stress and anguish and suffering, but very often it's a subtler sense that we always need a little bit more, that there's always a little room for improvement, that we try to adjust and improve and fix and manipulate our experience moment by moment by moment. The third quality or, fact or, or characteristic is described anatta as anatta, or not-self, or emptiness. 
This reveals that there is no underlying fixed entity behind our experience. There's nothing particular that we can find that exists inherently and provides a stable basis to say, this is who I am. There's basically no fixed entity that we can factually call self. There's no one to whom our life is happening. It's the realization of a lack of this intrinsic being that is so often assumed. There's no one behind our face. There's no one inside our rib cage. There's no one in our elbow or our fingertip to call self, to say, this is who experience belongs to. <coughs> Yet experience occurs and is known. Life happens and is known. And yet it doesn't happen to a reified self. The insight into anatta manifests when we're not taking life personally. Life happens and is known vividly, brightly, clearly with mindfulness. And yet we're not taking it as mine. Vipassana meditation techniques, insight meditation techniques, are designed to spotlight these three specific characteristics of anicca, dukkha, and anatta because our freedom is revealed when we simply cease to misperceive our experience. The classic illustration is that of the snake and the rope. Someone's taking a hike in a forest. They see this coiled form in the dim light below the trees. And the hiker thinks, oh, oh no, it's a snake. And suddenly their pulse increases and, and, and they experience this fear. And the mind is darting and running around trying to figure out what's the best route of escape. Should I back up? Should I stay still? Should I move off the path? And then as they're standing there in that moment, Suddenly they see just a little bit more clearly into that shadow and realize, you know, it isn't a snake after all. Somebody left a rope coiled there. They didn't change the rope, the snake, into a rope. The transformation occurred just through clear seeing. All that fear all that anxiety, the heart racing, the pulse, everything occurred simply through a misperception. The problem is solved by clear seeing. And so often we misperceive our experience and we react quite strongly to things because we've perceived them not as they are, but how we either want them to be or fear that they might be. The poet Kabir wrote, When the eyes and the ears are open, even the leaves on the trees teach like pages of the scriptures. What is insight? Is it going to be some grand, exciting experience with the thrills of fireworks and a band playing? Not necessarily. It's simply seeing things clearly as they are actually occurring not as we believe them to be or desire them to be. Many of you have heard stories of Mullah Nasruddin, a wise Sufi 
saints or possibly fool, depending on your perspective. One day, Mullah Nasruddin was walking down the street in his village and he was um, assailed by um, a group of young thugs, kind of a street gang of his time. And they were throwing stones and threatening him and you know, causing him quite a bit of trouble there. So he said, don't do that, don't do that, stop. I'll tell you something that will be of great interest to you. So they said, okay, but it better be very good and no philosophy. And Mullah started to tell them, well, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but the emir is giving a free banquet to all comers. And there's supposed going to be a spread of the greatest delicacies. There's going to be this dish and that dish and all the possible delights that you could, could eat and drinks for everyone that shows up. And as he was warming to his theme and describing the various dishes and how they would appear on the banquet table, he looked up and he realized that the children had ran off in the direction of the emir's house. And as he looked at them and he saw them disappearing in the distance, he suddenly tucked up his robes and ran after him. He thought, I'd better go and see. It could be true after all. <laughs> Too often we subscribe reality to little more than our own desires and lose touch with what's true in the moment. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, sensing, thinking. Is that experience clear or is it distorted? How can we see things more clearly? Seeing things more clearly includes some training in investigating the three characteristics of existence, which is the emphasis in Vipassana-style practice. How many people here have experienced things changing? I want to see every hand up. <laughs> I mean, temperature changes, the climate changes. You know, I didn't have as much gray some years ago. <laughs> um, we age. Everything changes one moment to the next. How many people have experienced things that were unsatisfactory? Every hand. If you haven't, just when this talk ends, stay sitting for the next six hours. And you will experience unsatisfactoriness. How about emptiness? Has anybody experienced the absence of a sense of self? Yes, many yeses, but not 100% on that one. That's sometimes subtler. But just consider, are you the same person that you were three years ago? Or when you were four years old? Can you find somebody behind your experience? that you can actually say, this is who I am. Is there some part of you that you say, no, this is me? What if you have surgery and, was it, and, and they put something else in you? Are you still you? Or they take some part out? Well, are you like gone? What makes you, you? We all taste, but have we ever found a taster? We all see, but have we ever found a seer? We all think, but is there actually a thinker? 
we really have to look at this in the quiet of the meditation because it's not something to be intellectually understood and it's certainly not something to be believed. We only know the experience of anatta, of not-self, by looking for self and discovering for ourselves again and again every single time we look, looking as clearly and with as much integrity as we possibly can, that there's actually no one behind our experience. And yet experience happens. It's bright. It's known. It's a different process of claiming that experience as mine. And yet when we look at that various process of grasping, clinging, this is mine, all we see is a formation of grasping. Self-grasping. But it's grasping, not self. And very often we emphasize in our minds the construction of a reified self and are not seeing the process of self-grasping, which is basically just one more form of clinging, of grasping. And how many people believe, I am grasping, that's my identity? doesn't sound so good as I am Shiloh or I am so-and-so. And yet when we look, I, I invite you, please look in your experience. See what you actually find. Is there a fixed entity? Or is there simply this empty process that follows conditions? Is there someone to whom life is occurring? Perhaps it's so much simpler and it's simply a process of seeing being known, smelling being known, tasting being known, touching being known, thinking being known, emotions being known. Vipassana is a systematic technique that highlights these three primary insights. Insight into anicca, insight into dukkha, and insight into anatta. We've all had the experience of anicca, dukkha, and anatta. But how do we extract the insight from that experience? What the texts call squeezing the honey out of insight. How do we allow those in, those, that experience to mature, to, make, to have an effect on us, to be a transformation? How can we experience life in a way that is liberating? When we see the truth of anicca, dukkha, and anatta underneath the surface of our experience, we can experience that truth in a way that has an effect. The effect is a release, a release of grasping. We all know intellectually about suffering of holding on to something that's changing and letting go. But to know that in the depths of our experience, under um, um, releases a fundamental, subtle level of grasping that affects the very way we perceive every experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking. And that is an experience of insight. Insight transforms us. It puts our experience in clear view. It's not an intellectual understanding. It's not something, a belief that we need to adopt. It's not an experience that we have that we reify because it conforms to the teachings that we've read about. 
insight transforms the fundamental way we experience life. Because when we are perceiving anicca, we're not grasping. And when we are perceiving dukkha, we are not clinging. And when we are perceiving anatta, we are not clinging. Our minds can open to insight quite unexpectedly, quite suddenly sometimes. We may not even understand exactly what we're perceiving. It may not be something particular. And yet, we know we've been touched. We know we're moved. And somehow, we experience that release and we know everything has been changed. Our life is no longer the same. For that brief moment of insight, we've stepped outside the conditioned patterns and seen beyond our familiar frames of reference. Insight shifts our perspective outside the known. And because it's outside the known, language often fails miserably to describe it. That flash of insight brings experience into view in a way that is clear, dynamic, fresh, vivid. It may be doing the very thing you've done five million times in your life. And yet, it's as though you've never experienced it before. You've never felt it before. You've never been quite so awake to it before. Sometimes we can have insights about quite simple, mundane, worldly things. We might have a new perspective that suddenly shines on our personal psychological dynamics, the patterns that have structured our lives, and we see why it is we do the very things that continue to cause us suffering. And an insight can shift us outside that pattern, view it from a perspective that allows a release to happen very, very deeply, and it can truly transform the way we live. Insight may also touch, touch us in a way that brings forth a kind of inspiration. We get a new idea, maybe for a creative project, for a drawing, for a painting. We might get a new idea for a project at work. We might suddenly have an understanding of just what solution is needed for a particular problem that we've been mulling over. Or more in the realm of a spiritual life, we might find ourselves just having taken a turn in our, in our path. We might not even exactly know where it was from or where it was to. And yet, mysteriously, we find ourselves orienting to what is of deepest importance to us. It's as though our lives, for a moment, step out of the personal dynamics of I want this and I don't want this and I like this and I don't like that. Gain and loss, praise and blame, all the personal dynamics. For a moment we stepped out and everything is aligned with the deepest aspiration. It may be for awakening, for love, for compassion, for truth, for peace. We may have a sense of it um, uh, manifesting in any in, in, in those various forms, but the quality is of non-pattern, of just alignment with things as they are, in a very, very, very deep and profound way. That alignment allows us 
to awaken to a realization of something beyond the patterns, beyond the familiar, the unconditioned, the unborn, the ultimate, the inexpressible, the immeasurable, the boundless. These three insights into conditioned existence, anicca, dukkha, and anatta, are specifically cultivated because when we are perceiving anicca, dukkha, and anatta, it's as though they're an antidote to clinging. We're not clinging when we're seeing the truth of conditioned existence. And so then the mind is um, uh, conducive to realizing something beyond the conditioned because we're not grasping the condition. It's as though the mind for that moment has a chance to shift, to open, to realize something that is unconditioned. When clinging ceases, suffering ceases. We may not have to do a lot to end suffering. We may simply undo clinging. We may not have to see a whole lot of new things. We may just need to see clearly what's right before us. Are you experiencing trouble now? Problem? Fear? Worry? Difficulty? Craving? Clinging? Sense right now if there is a problem. And see if there's a problem if you're not looking to the past and not looking to the future. If we think about the past, everyone here, I'm sure, will raise their hand that there's a problem. And if we think about the future, I'll bet everybody would raise their hand that there would be a problem. And if we get involved in our stories about the present... I'll bet everybody would have an interpretation. It's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. The chair is too hard. The chair is too soft. There'll be all kinds of stories and things. But when we're not referring to memory of past, when we're not referring to thoughts and plans for the future, when we're not making a commentary on the present moment experience, when you just let go of each of those mental habits, Is there really a problem? Are you then bound and stressed? So often we make our experience problematic by misperceiving it. And classically, that's considered conceiving of the impermanent as permanent, interpreting what is unreliable as satisfactory, or viewing what is impermanent and unreliable Anicca and Dukkha, as Atta, or myself. When you look into this moment as it is, free of thought, whatever might be happening, can you accept it? It's what's happening. It's just what's happening. See if you can allow the heart to open to this too. Pleasant or unpleasant, doesn't matter. Experience now as it is, without reference to past and without reference to future and without the commentary on the present moment. And then just see, is there really a problem? Is there really anything lacking? Or can I just be with this moment as it is? And can I be with this moment as it is? 
And can I be with this moment as it is? And can I be with this moment as it is? There's a beautiful sutta from the middle-length discourses that I spoke about. Um, oh, it's one of, it's, I've been reflecting on it a lot, so I spoke about it a couple of times recently and once in this room about a week or two ago on a Monday night. Was anybody here? Ah, okay. Um, I'll, uh, I'd like to recite this little verse. It's a four, four, um, four verses from the middle-length discourses, 131, <laughs> titled, A Single Excellent Night. And the Buddha said, let me not revive the past, nor on the future build my hopes. For the past has been left behind, and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Let me know that, and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly, by day, by night. It is she, the peaceful sage has said, who has spent a single excellent night. I love this little text especially the opening. Let me not revive the past, nor on the future build my hopes. Why? Because the past has been left behind, and the future has not been reached. It's so simple. (laughs) Instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Not, let me grasp a hold of the present and cling to this with dear life. But instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Let me know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Whenever we're grasping something, we'll shake. Clinging makes us brittle. It makes us stiff. To be unshakable, invincible, the mind must be non-grasping because there is nothing that we can hold to that doesn't make us vulnerable to that changing invincible unshakable is a mind that is so spacious so open so relaxed so non-grasping that it doesn't shake it's not grasping after what it wants or what it doesn't want it's not shaking between desire and aversion This is how we live in a way that is prone to insight. We cultivate meditation techniques like vipassana to create the conditions that are ripe for insight. Each time the mind wanders off in meditation and we begin again, we come back. We're training the mind to let go of the seductions of the thought world. As we connect with what's happening in the present moment, that bare attention reveals the actual experience of the senses, more direct than any belief about what's happening. So observing experience as it changes, that flow, as it arises and passes, watching the beginning of the breath and the ending of the breath, the beginning of the thought, the ending of the thought, recognizing the beginning of an event, the end of an event, 
This leads to the insight into anicca. Being mindful of the pleasant and unpleasant qualities, the feeling tone of experience, the way the mind moves to what it wants and away from what it doesn't want. These are ways that bring up the experience or the insight into dukkha. And when we're mindful not just of the experience, but how we're relating to experience, observing how I arises in contact, not just the seeing of the bell, but I am seeing the bell. We structure that through a particular way that we perceive. And we can be mindful of the, the components of that perceptual process and begin to have insight into the nature of, of, of self or anatta, non-self or anatta, self or atta. As we practice, we learn to rest our attention very deeply in the first moment of contact, in the first moment of experience, before a whole thought chain flows out from that initial experience. Seeing the bell, thinking about sound, pondering a concert that I might go to next week, wondering who... Thinking about something about the person I'm going to go to the concert with. And that person reminds me of somebody else that I used to know 26 years ago. And I wonder what's happening to them. Oh, I'll bet they're in Sri Lanka now. I wonder if they were there during the tsunami. And then thinking about the tsunami and then this and that. and All because of seeing a bell. The mind can spin out so far from the initial experience of contact. So we can be present with our direct experience and not engage in all those proliferations that, um, that sort of circle around or surround our experience. Instead, we simply rest in the experience of things. We can rest deeply without that entanglement. Just contact as it is. Bright, clear, vivid. Well, if you've come to a talk on insight meditation or an insight meditation center, chances are you kind of want insight, right? Or at least are intrigued by it or have had some or want more or are curious and just want to explore what it is. Where do you look? Are you going to find it in the center? Are you going to go to the library and find it in the books? Are you going to find it in teachers? Are you hoping I'm going to give you insight? Actually, there's little door prizes. We wrap them all up in little things and each one has an insight in it. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Where do you look for insight? There is a place to look. It's your own experience. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, moods, emotions, perceptions. Where, what else can you experience? What else can you notice anyway? In a clear experience of anything that we have happen to experience seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking, the mind may open quite naturally. We don't have to look for thrilling insights or spiritual insights or insights that are going to make good stories or something that just opens the heart into this vast space. Very often, 
we experience insight simply through a relaxed and clear awareness. <coughs> through the absence of grasping, the absence of problem. So just look into your moment-to-moment experience. Notice what happens on contact. Notice if we've made it problematic. And if we can simply release that misperception that distorts our experience or makes it into a problem, makes it into anything other than what it is. We're not looking for a kind of intellectual understanding or a learning that will allow you to pass a Buddhist exam. We should do a little exam sometimes. That could be kind of fun. I wonder what the final exam would be. What would the questions be? But cleverness is not what it's about. Intellectual understandings is not what brings forth wisdom. Insight refers to an immediate knowing that moves us beyond the fragmentations of the conceptual mind. It's an order of knowing that is not bound by the intellect and not limited to ideas and concepts. And very often, our notions about things and our concepts simply cannot adequately describe the insight. And yet, insight has an effect. It has the power to release us from the tension of grasping so that we feel something. We feel open. We feel ease. We feel contentment. There's non-conflict. We're not agitated. We're not confused. It's a profound sense of okayness, of simplicity, of peacefulness. And so as we meditate, we connect again and again to the truth of our moment-to-moment experience. And in that connection with the truth of things, as we align with the truth of things, cease to resist the truth of things. We experience deep gratitude, ease, and peace with the truth of things, regardless of whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. Ceasing to grasp after transient things for our happiness, our security, and our identity, we discover a depth of balance where we're not grasping and we're at peace. We know joy through letting go rather than clinging. We know happiness through not grasping rather than grasping. We're touched by a quality of ease, a quality of grace, by being with the simple fact of things rather than attached to notions of how we wish things were. Traditionally, this clear seeing of Vipassana is understood as not perceiving contacts as permanent, satisfactory, and self. Not looking to experience to find security, happiness, and identity. It's this clear seeing, this clear relationship to living, that will reveal our freedom and put an end to all grasping. Through meditation practice, we investigate the various ways that we misperceive experience, the various ways we are bound and make experience problematic. But we shouldn't remain too fascinated with those obstructions and those processes. We shouldn't be so entranced by complaining that we don't see the inevitable truth that the situation is going to change. It's helpful to not be so engaged in the dramas of our problems, 
that we don't recognize the very simple option of letting go. And there's no reason to ever be so identified with the situations of living that we're personally traumatized by the inevitable events of life, of the fluctuations of pleasant and unpleasant, gain and loss, praise and blame, birth and death. There's a story, again, of Mullah Nasruddin, who um, was a good friend of the king of his time. And the king liked to go hunt bears, and he enjoyed Mullah Nasruddin's company. So he invited Mullah Nasruddin to come on this bear hunt. Now, Mullah Nasruddin was not into bear hunting. This was, like, not his thing. But he couldn't get out of it because the king had request, specifically requested his company. So terrified, he went on this bear hunt. And he came back safely, and as he was walking in the village, some of the, some of the villagers asked him after he returned, well, how did the hunt go? And he said, marvelous. Oh, how many bears did you kill? None. How many bears did you chase? None. How many bears did you see? None. Then how could it go marvelously? When you're hunting bears, none is more than enough. We don't need to search out the bears in our meditation. We don't need to dig up a lot of personal stuff in order to process in the silence. But to know our freedom, we simply open to our experience of life as it unfolds. Freedom is known through an undistracted, settled attention where there's present awareness of life as it unfolds. We can be present, listen, feel, awaken. We can be aware now. Not plan on doing being aware tomorrow or wish that we were aware yesterday, but just be aware now. Just be awake now. This moment is as it is, regardless of our judgments or demands. The moment is perfect as it is, because it is. That's all. Clear seeing allows us to experience the contacts of life aligned with the truth of things, so that we live intimately with existence, rather than obscured by the delusions of permanence, seduction and self so that we directly know the experience of any sense experience free of distortion without the concepts of I, me and mine this is to be in touch with experience as experience unfolds we allow insight to transform the very way we experience life It's not something we need to think about too much. Just live with the truth of things moment by moment. Just live with insight. I'd like to close with a short verse, um, a, a statement Kalu Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher, once made. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. We are that reality. When you understand this, you see that you are nothing, and being nothing, you are everything. That is all. 
thank you for your attention.